Bonjour. Konnichiwa. I am Frederic Rigolo, News Director of Belmont Media Center. And I'm Komako Akai Whitelaw, Citizen Journalist for BMC. Welcome to our new podcast series, Power of Music. What makes us musicians? What draws us into music? Those are the core questions we hope this podcast series answers. In this first season, we interview Powers Music School faculty members. We'd like to give special thanks to Kelly Weber and Gavin Farrell for their support. The production of our podcast incidentally coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic, which reminds us how music heals us, how music brings us joy, and how music brings us together. Sarah Freiberg Ellison is the fitting guest for our finale episode. She's a cello teacher and a co-chair of the string department at Powers Music School. And she's the daughter of one of the founders of the school. My name is Sarah Freiberg Ellison. I teach cello at the Powers Music School. I am on the board and I am a co-chair of the string department. I was one of the very first students at the Powers Music School because my mother was one of the founding mothers, as they are called. And I started at the age of five with recorder lessons in our basement. I played recorder through high school, and recorder was really my introduction to early music, which is what I do mostly now. And I played in a recorder ensemble, and that also was part of what I love to do now, which is play chamber music. And so the Powers Music School really introduced me to what became my livelihood. In the second grade, I had to practice my penmanship And when asked what I wanted to do when I grew up, what I wrote was, I want to play the cello. I couldn't spell the word cello. I spelled it C-H-A-L-L-O, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. If you want to be a professional musician, you have to have a passion for it that is undying because to be a professional musician means that you are going to have to scrimp and save You're never going to be very wealthy unless you are really lucky. You have to be passionate about it because you may not be appreciated all the time for what you do. In fact, I remember when my kids were little and I'd be leaving them to go play music and I'd say, I'm going to play. And my children thought, well, why do you get to go play and you're not playing with us? And to me, my work really is playing. It's such an honor to be able to do what I love to do and make music that reaches the emotions of other people. I love what I do, but it's not for the faint of heart. 
I did start on modern cello, but I loved early music. When I was in college and went to Salzburg, Austria for a year and a half, there was a wonderful class taught by a man named Nicholas Harningcore, who was one of the people who started the revival of early music in the 1960s and 70s. He was very dynamic and very exciting. I played some Bach for him and I was bitten by the early music bug. The Baroque cello and the modern cello, they are very different instruments. My Baroque cello is very much a Baroque cello. It's guttural, it's, it can make nasty sounds, you know, um, but I felt like the sound that it made was me. When I first played this cello, I felt like it was my voice. I felt like it said what I wanted to say. I had a wonderful teacher in Belmont, not through the Powers Music School. My teacher, Madeline Foley, who had studied with Pablo Casals, was actually quite a character. She scared me to death. She had a very gruff, low voice because she was a smoker, and she would hold her cigarette in between her fingers on her bow while she played to give me examples. And I remember at my very first lesson, she dropped a pencil on the floor and she pointed to the floor and she said, pick it up. And I picked up the pencil. I was scared to death. I didn't know what she wanted. And then she said, don't move. That's the perfect bow position. And she was right. She was trying to get me to be um, loose and comfortable holding a bow. And that was absolutely the perfect way to do it. But I was very scared of her. She was tall and imposing and she tended to wear the same outfit each week. And she wore blue jeans that were rolled up with cuffs and she had bright red socks and a much darker maroon sweater that didn't match the socks. And so everything about her I found intimidating. One of the things that I remember about Madeline Foley was that I would come in and try something and say, I can't do it. And she said, I have a bowl out here. And every time you say, I can't, you owe me a penny. And it taught me how not to say, I can't do it. She was a wonderful teacher. I thought I would play a piece from each century that the cello has been around. I would like to start out by playing a piece that's called a Toccata by Giovanni Battista Vitali. What I play mostly is a Baroque cello, which means it's a cello that is unaltered from earlier times. The very early cellos from the 15 and 1600s, all the strings were made out of gut and to have big low strings, the low strings of the instrument, have the low strings of the instrument able to speak, they were very large strings and it was very hard to make them vibrate. And in the 1600s, 1660s, in an area of what is now Italy, known as Modena and Bologna, people came up with the idea of winding strings with metal around the gut and the strings could be smaller 
and then the instruments could be smaller. And all of a sudden there was an explosion of music written for the early cello because the string making had changed. And this piece by Vitali is one of them. cello, which was a modern copy when I was still a student essentially in San Francisco. There was an opening in the professional Baroque orchestra called Philharmonia Baroque in the Bay Area and I auditioned and I won the spot. So I really learned how to play Baroque cello on the job. When I moved back to Boston, one of the things that I forgot about is that it gets really cold in the winter and gut strings, which are wound with silver on the outside, start to make a terrible noise when it gets cold because the inside has separated from the outside. I came back one evening from a Messiah rehearsal and my cello that I was using sounded terrible. And so I brought it over to Curtis Bryant, who's an instrument maker and repair person in Watertown, and I've known since I was a kid. He said, I'll look it over for you. And he said, but I just came back from England and I bought a cello at auction and you need to try it out. And that was my cello. I played it at home that evening and I, I never brought it back. I literally fell in love with it right then and there. And I told him he could keep the other cello and sell it. <laughs> the cello I have now, my Baroque cello, is a very interesting instrument in that it was made in London by a Belgian inventor whose name was John Joseph Merlin. And Merlin invented all kinds of different things, including he's credited with inventing roller skates. I was very curious and I wrote an article about him. I started getting all kinds of really interesting responses to my article in the Internet Cello Society website. One of the responses I got was from a museum in England that has a life-size silver swan that Merlin made, and it's a really large music box. I would love to see that in person sometime. I had a different experience with my modern cello. I pressed too hard on the instrument, and it doesn't like that kind of sound. But it likes it if you're very nice and kind of coax the sound out. And so I bought this cello, with the idea that I would learn how to grow into it and learn how to play it. Here it is on my modern cello with the modern bow.
I thought I would play from the 18th century is the first movement of the first Bach suite, which was written around 1720. This is the movement that if anybody has ever heard any Bach, this is what they've heard. The prelude to the suite number one in G major by Johann Sebastian Bach. When I play this first movement of this first suite, I think of sunshine. I, there's something about just the openness of it and the um, the movement of it has a lot of repetition that makes me just think of something very happy. And yet it's got a lot of moments of cloudiness, of dissonance coming in, as if he's laid all his cards on the table, that you can have something that's very beautiful and you can have something that's a little bit menacing, but you're gonna be all right in the end. When Bach composed his suites in 1720, the instrument that he would have known would have been much more like my Baroque cello with gut strings and the curved bow that curved out at a fairly low pitch, so it didn't have a lot of tension to it. When I was in high school and about to audition for a, a summer program, my teacher Madeline Foley thought that my bow wasn't going straight enough and that I was not aware enough of where to put my bow on each note. And so she gave me a gut A string, play on my regular cello. And when I went to my audition, I was really nervous and that string sounded awful. It squeaked and it squawked and it made terrible noises. I got into the summer program anyway, but I'm amazed that I make my livelihood mostly by playing gut strings after having a rather bad experience. The gut strings were popular into the 20th century, and it was only because they needed the gut for suturing during World War I that gut stopped being used for instruments and they started using some kind of metal instead. But Pablo Casals used unwound gut A string throughout his life. It has a very beautiful sound, the gut strings do. Another important thing about the Baroque cello is that the end pin or spike that we put in the ground to keep the cello in one place had not been invented yet. And so you have to hold the instrument between your legs. And one of the things that is very hard to do if you don't have the end pin in the ground is to vibrate very much. So on a modern cello, you can vibrate a lot and it's very comfortable to to make a nice vibrating sound. For Bach, vibrato was seen as an ornament and only used occasionally. I sometimes wonder what Bach might have thought if he had heard his music played on all different instruments, such as the modern piano, the modern string instruments, and he probably would have thought it sounded pretty good, but who knows?
was looking for pieces that were for the cello by itself in the 19th century, all I could come up with were very beautiful studies or etudes, but there was nothing written for the cello just by itself. In the 19th century, etudes or studies tended to be very beautiful. And if you think about it, you know, Chopin was well known for writing etudes that were meant to be performed. And I think many of the etudes or studies that were written for the cello should be performed. The piece that I'm going to play or study is by a man named Dotsauer, who lived from century were experimenting with different types of bow, with a bow that was much more like a modern bow in that it's concave instead of convex, because the music was changing. So the makers and the performers and the composers were all trying different things. So the music was changing style, as was the equipment. etudes were that pretty, I think it would be much easier to get my students to practice them. <laughs> I think that the job of a teacher is really to guide them into how they can practice well, to in inspire them, but also teach them that practicing is a really wonderful way to learn creatively. It's a creative endeavor. I'm always encouraging my students to problem solve. I use something from Madeline Foley quite often with my students, which is you make it much harder if you're having trouble playing something evenly, then try playing it unevenly. Try playing it unevenly a different way. What Madeline called it was, it was like beating your head against a wall. Why do you beat your head against the wall? Because it feels so good when you stop. And the point being that once you've tried all these different things and you go back to the way it's supposed to be, it's no longer a problem and it's easy. piece from the 20th century and I came across a work by a man I hadn't heard of until I found this piece. His name was Coleridge Taylor Perkinson and he was an African-American composer born in 1932. 
Meditations uh, by Coleridge Taylor Perkinson is quite a different type of music than the other pieces I've been playing. The emotion I feel in this piece is a weightiness, a heaviness, a sadness of life being very difficult. That's what I, I think of with this piece. At the same time, it's got this rhythmic side to it where it's got a little bit of sort of jazz rhythms that keep you feeling like you're not quite settled. So there's a little hope in there. Music to me is the way to reach people's souls. It reaches people when there have been tragedies, when there are happy things. Music is a way not only to express feelings, but to give other people meaning to their lives. The 20th century has seen oh, hundreds of pieces written for solo cello. And I'm really glad that I've, I've just gotten to know this work. I can't wait to work on the rest of the movements and um, it's nice to know it's there. <laughs> Last uh, piece that I wanted to play is a piece by a young Polish cellist uh, and composer and teacher named Simon Kotyniaja. And he wrote this work in 2009. It's got three very brief segments. It's a, called a capriccio. Interestingly enough, the piece that I've chosen as a 21st century piece, I think is much more like a Baroque piece. There was a point in the 20th century, there was a, a lot of experimentation. More recently, there's been more music that may be a little more tonal and in, in keys that you recognize. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that in the 18th century, there was just the music and not much else. So you didn't have dynamics, you weren't told whether to make it loud or soft. There were things that people did if the music went higher that you got louder. If it went down, it got softer. But it wasn't written out. Kotinaya does something really interesting. He writes dynamics on almost every note. It's a very 21st century. You want, he knows what he wants and he wants you to play the way he asks you to. And he also puts in all the fingerings. So you know exactly what he wants. And that to me is a very 21st century thing. Kotanyaya is ends very clearly in G major, um, just the way the, the Bach piece was in G major. Uh, so it's very tonal, it's very different from the previous piece, but uh, a lot of fun to play. <laughs> The 
The Powers Music School started out uh, because there were musicians in town who felt like there should be more possibilities for both playing and learning music in Belmont. And five women who were musicians or interested in music got together and talked about what they could do. And my mother was one of them and I was five years old, so I didn't really know what was going on. So when I left Belmont at the age of 18, I left the Powers Music School behind and I left Belmont behind and I thought, well, that was a nice place to grow up and I'll be off in the world. And I was quite surprised when I came back 20 years later, Belmont was really a wonderful town. So when I returned to Belmont and I not only came to my same house, but I came back to Belmont, I was asked to help take over something that is called the Stein Festival, which is a chamber music festival that happens each year in memory of a wonderful chamber musician, both cellist and pianist named Joseph Stein, who had died suddenly in the 1970s. By the time I was asked to do that, the Powers Music School had taken over running the Stein Festival. And so I was sort of reintroduced to the Powers School through this festival, which I still helped to run along with the Powers Music School. It's been really wonderful in part because it, it shows what people can do just because they love to play music. Most of the performers are not professional, some of them are very young, but they all have to play chamber music. You can't play by yourself, you have to play with somebody else. I do love the fact that I'm continuing in a different generation with keeping the, the Powers Music School vibrant. My mother would be so pleased to know that it's continuing to do so well. After she died, uh, my father wanted to donate her piano to Powers, and it's one of the performance pianos in the cabinet room. I love seeing it there. I, I really think that's great. So she lives on there too. just heard the first minuet from the same cello suite number one by Juan Sebastian Bach. This episode was edited by Komako Akai Whitelow. And that's it for this first season of Power of Music. We hope you have enjoyed it as much as we have had. The artists in our podcast all teach at Powers Music School in Belmont, Massachusetts. This podcast wouldn't have been possible without the help and the support of Kelly Weber and Gavin Farrell. We deeply thank them, as we thank all the artists we interviewed. This podcast was presented by myself, Frederick Rigolo, and journalist Komako Akai Watlo. If you want to comment or share what this story means for you, you can email me at fred at belmontmedia.org. We hope to see you all in person at the real concert in near future. Au revoir. Sayonara. <laughs> <laughs>